Welcome to the Building Efficiency Resources Podcast, the BearCast. Uh, this is a Happy New Year edition of the BearCast. Sandy and I are going to be talking about our New Year's resolutions for the energy efficiency and high performance building community. Uh, Sandy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Happy New Year, and I'm excited for a strong 2024. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, 2024 has a good feeling to me already out of the gate. Um, You know, obviously, there's a a lot of challenges right now in the world, uh, and, you know, it's not, not hard to find things across the board to be frustrated about or to be concerned about. We got plenty to, but for some reason, I don't know. This year's feeling a little bit different for me. Uh, what about for you, Sandy? I, I think I have a lot of optimism for this year. You know, I, um, you know, 2023, I think, had its own set of challenges, you know, but was a good year, you know. But I think that, to me, it just feels like, you know, maybe a part of that is that, like, you know, the new broom sweeps clean kind of thing, you know. Um, but um, I'm I'm excited about it. I think that our industry is, you know, making strides. I think. Um, you know, I, I I think that uh, voices are being heard finally, you know, maybe not every place we want them to be heard. And I think that, um, you know, uh, in general, you know, our world is more embracing in a lot of ways, you know, what we've been trying to do for years. So um, it's exciting. You know, I, I think that there's tons of opportunity. Um, I think there is some, you know, I think there should be some caution with some things, but I, overall, I'm excited about the new year. Yeah, me too. And, you know, uh, just a little bit of a inside baseball here. One of the reasons why I'm excited about 2024 is, uh, formally, uh, bear has reorganized. Um, and, uh, I'm the president. That's right. And Sandy's my vice president. And, uh, Presidente. And yeah, and uh, and Uriah, especially my business partner, is now in more of a founder role. He's still around, but um, you know, Sandy and I are 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 largely leading the operations of Bear. So, if you, if you got some good stuff you want to talk about, give us a call. If you got stuff that's Absolutely. not so good, call Sandy. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, How true uh, your words are. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, anyways, enough about us, um, you know, getting into. The uh, I just I do want to say one thing, uh, Chris, I'm I just want you and your eye to know that I'm proud to be vice president of your company. So and, and I appreciate your confidence in me. Heck, yes. Andy. Well, you know, we're we're in a good spot here as uh, as a company and as an industry going forward. Um So getting into the news segment here, um, we have basically a couple of articles that are along the same theme. So we have two articles that kind of came up uh, into uh, Sandy and my feed this past week. They're kind of on the same theme. Um, They're discussing that uh, some some more manufacturers have joined into uh, a group of manufacturers that are participating in a heat pump challenge, uh, a DOE uh, cold climate heat pump challenge. And what's cool about this is that uh, basically, you know, this program from the DOE 
is trying to accelerate the development of cold climate heat pumps, heat pumps that perform better at cold temperatures. And you may say, well, what does that mean to me? What it means is that there are heat pumps that deliver their full capacity down to five degrees Fahrenheit um, at a pretty good coefficient of performance or COP. And I think everybody on watching the Bearcast should probably know what COP is, but if you don't know, basically uh, COP is the ratio of heat energy out to the energy that you put into it. So um, if we put uh, one watt in, we would get uh, three watts out if we had a device that had a COP of two. So the idea is, you know, at cold temperatures that, you know, these things are not only delivering their capacity, but also they're, you know, uh, having, you know, pretty decent efficiency. They're not going to be as good as they would be at 47 degrees or 17 degrees, but still pretty good. And then some manufacturers are actually pushing forward to have equipment that is rated down to negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit and, and still at a, a pretty strong coefficient of performance. Now, some of you all may be saying, you know, boring, that's not new news. You know, I already know that, you know, Mitsubishi and Fujitsu already have this. Well, yeah, but that's kind of the problem is that we're not going to be able to get where we need to go in terms of mainstreaming this technology if you only have a couple of competitors in the game. So the big news this week is that Bosch, Daikin, uh, Medea, and um, Johnson Controls have all joined Lennox, Carrier, uh, Train, and Ream in this challenge. So basically, now instead of having just four manufacturers, we have eight manufacturers that are you know, committing to stepping up the game with their own technology. And, uh, you know, this demonstration of this technology was, was actually uh, out at the Consumer Electronics Show. Um, so this isn't just for energy nerds anymore. Uh, basically, you know, these manufacturers are out basically demonstrating that this technology is good for consumers and it's sort of a techie kind of a thing, um, which I think is really important because I think for especially, you know, newer, younger generations, you know, uh, you know, I think techie matters. You know, I think if this can be, you know, Sandy and I were talking about the branding, you know, of all this stuff, you know, and, and I think, I think that electrification is actually doing pretty good in making itself into kind of a, a techie kind of a thing that may be able to be more uh, mainstream appeal. What do you think, Sandy? I agree. I, I think that, you know, especially the younger generation that is just coming into the market, you know, they're really focused on, you know, things like, you know, you know, controlling your home through technology and, you know, high efficiency and way more than my generation was, right? I mean, you know, there's outliers like myself, but, you know, um, for the most part, you know, this, the, the younger generations are extremely tech oriented. And I, I think that, you know, these type of things appeal to them, not only from, you know, uh, a conservation standpoint, but just from a technology standpoint, you know, I mean, everybody's, you know, Uber into technology today, everybody's, you know, using apps and controlling your homes with home, smart home systems and, 
you know, it just fits right into that whole, you know, you know, uh, I pull my electric car in, into the uh, driveway and I tell my friends about my super high efficient home, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I think that it's great for our industry. I think that the, the bigger part of this whole thing is actually the addition. You know, at first it looked like, you know, the big four, you might call them, you know, Ream and Lennox and all them were going to dominate this. But it's nice to see that these other companies are getting involved. Not so much for the fact that it makes a fair playing field, which is part of it, right? But I think there's two other, you know, really important facts to that. One is that more companies involved drives better innovation, right? Absolutely. So, you know, if if Ford didn't have Chevy and Chrysler, you know, to use a Detroit reference for you, Chris, you know, would the car industry have progressed, you know, the way it did? And, you know, and it's a great question. And then Later on, you know, when the, you know, foreign automobile companies came into the market, that also pushed, you know, efficiency and in modern design and, you know, all these other technologies. And I think the same plays true for this industry. So I, I love that fact. Um, and I think that these other players, these, I don't want to call them second tier because that's not really fair, but, you know, they focused on a different, I don't know, idea of of heat pumps and technology. I think they, you know, that perspective brings invaluable, you know, invaluable, you know, technology and research and development into the game. So I, you know, this is a great, this is great. And I, I think it's, um, you know, one of the past episodes we talked about, you know, the technology is there, but are we really pushing to get there? And I think this is a step in, in, in a definitely a positive direction towards electrification. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I found it interesting in this uh, CNET article, though, you know, they, they come down to will heat pump save you money, you know, and it kind of, you know, it, and I think that this is one of those things that hopefully this heat pump challenge is going to help to resolve. Hopefully we're going to get to a point where um, the answer is yes, or at least that it's not going to lose money for a homeowner because, you know, how you and I define efficiency is different than how a rank and file consumer defines efficiency. You know, you and I Very may true. know what a COP is, and we can get into the techie and wonky kind of stuff about efficiency. I think to a consumer, cost equals efficiency. The two are kind of the same thing, you know, and so if you take a home that's powered by gas and then you put a heat pump in it and you say how efficient it is, but then somebody's cost of running their home goes up. I don't know that they're going to perceive it, that their home is more efficient. And I, I, I certainly don't know that they're going to be going around talking to their friends about what a great deal it is and how, you know, how proud they are. Maybe they will. Um, you know, obviously I think that, you know, it kind of depends on what your, your ethos is, you know, are you willing sure. to pay extra for the concept that you have um, greener uh, footprint, basically? You know, like, for example, for whatever it's worth, you know, my wife and I, we pay the little bit extra on our bill for us to be you know, supporting clean energy here in Michigan. Um, you know, really, the truth is I'm just giving more money to the utility for them to promise to invest in the things that they should, probably should already be doing. But I choose to do it because, you know, I don't know, I've convinced myself that, that that that's something that's good to do. 
So will someone do the same thing with a heat pump? Quite possibly. You know, and I'll just say, put a pin on this one. In a future episode, you know, we're going to be diving into this sort of um, breaking point. You know, where does where does like the switchover point of like gas and electricity, where you're definitely probably going to have equality. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, because I actually think the data is pretty easy to know. But the other things from this article, you know, they they touch on some of these incentives that are on their way here for heat pumps. You know, they don't necessarily talk too much about um, what, what's going on with the Inflation Reduction Act, but they kind of tease it. Um, and so, you know, I think that this is all pretty exciting news to see that heat pumps are getting a rub here in popular context. You know, yeah, I mean, the first article was from Clean Technica. You'd expect them to be talking about heat pumps there. <clears throat> but, you know, you know, on on CNET, again, you know, CNET's all about techie stuff, you know, computers and gadgetry. And so, you know, if heat pumps are now being talked about um, you know, in the same lens, I think this is a good thing. So I, I think that, you know, I'm only disappointed about one thing. You know, they, they state in this article, these efficient heat pumps, especially when paired with efficiency measures from households like efficient windows, better insulated walls and better insulated attics. But they forgot optimized design, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that if there's anything I would like to see come out of this other than great technology is a stress that, you know, these systems need to be installed and designed correctly to ought to be to, to be optimized. And I think, you know. That's the one part I haven't read in any of these articles. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, and I, I think that there is a a risk of treating these systems like they're magic boxes. Yeah. Um, and even amongst our high performance FERS rating community, I sometimes hear people kind of refer to heat pumps like, like, they, like they're a panacea. A silver bullet. Uh, yeah, just put in heat pumps and you're going to be good to go. And, you know, we've talked a lot about it. We're going to keep talking a lot about it. It's a lot more complicated than that. But uh, I think your your point is well taken. The design element is the most critical element, you know, for sure. Well, I think we have to learn from the mistakes of the past as well, right? Like, you know, without naming any names, I've been involved in some retrofit utility programs, right? where they come in and they evaluate, you know, the equipment and they replace, you know, you know, an old furnace, you know, most of this was like low income housing and they put a brand new furnace in and they see absolutely no re or very little results because they never sealed the ducts. They never improved the insulation. They didn't design it to fit the, you know, they just kind of, okay, here's the problem. Here's magic pill number one, you know? Um, and I just hope that we keep that all in mind as we go towards the future, that the mistakes of the past have to be fixed in order to make this work right. Because otherwise, we're all going to be disappointed. And I thought your point in the last podcast was spot on. It's like the promise of the CFL bulb, right? Um, you know, that was part, you know, part truth, part fiction, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, uh, but anyway, um, you know, I, I still think this is a great thing. I think it's awesome. I love the fact that you know, we're putting our money into driving this technology instead of talking about it. So um, overall, I think it's it's an awesome an awesome thing to happen for, you know, the whole electrification move. So 
That's right. Well, uh, we're going to keep following the news as it develops here over the coming months as we keep doing the Bearcast. Moving into segment two, Sandy and I are talking about New Year's resolutions. What can the hers industry do in 2024 in order to basically you know, help to better achieve success for itself this year and into the future? I'm not that big into New Year's resolutions on a personal level. Neither um, am I. Probably because... I've lived enough years to know that even if I make them, I may not make them. <laughs> I may may not make it till past uh, January. Um, I don't know. I that being said, I do believe very strongly that the new year can be an opportunity to recalibrate one's focus and one's energy. Um, you know, we kind of have that nice little break at the holidays. Um, you got a couple of year uh, months of winter weather where it maybe pays off to be in and focused a little bit more. Um, you know, it's people are not necessarily out there, but unless you're living in Florida, then you're out there cruising around with top down, you know, and in your hey, it's been cold up. here too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you see this right, fleece on, don't you? Anyway, so you know, I, I think that this is a great opportunity for you and I to just reflect on what's coming up. And this next year, what can we do in order to basically be a better industry? So, Sandy, what's kind of your number one thing that you, you would ask in this industry? What are you hoping that we're going to focus on? I would say my focus is more in the building performance industry, not necessarily just the hers industry. Right. But my 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 first thought is we need to either enhance or embrace the programs. And and what I mean by that is we need to Look, this is an exciting time in our industry, right? We're seeing things that are going on, you know, that are unprecedented, you know, advancements and, you know, funding and all all these great gifts. But if we don't, if we're not, you know, one of my biggest things when I was a trainer was be the expert, right? You got to be the expert. And, you know, we, we I think we need to embrace that more in our industry. You know, we need to. Enhance our knowledge of the programs, no matter what program it is. I don't care which one it is. I think we need to understand it greater because when we do that, we can intelligently and successfully migrate our customer base, you know, to where they it makes sense for them. Learn how to, you know, learn how to present this stuff in the proper way. Learn how to understand how building building science can be your best friend when it comes to you know, moving that builder from code to a, a compliance, more than just the money. You know, there's so many things in our industry that we benefit if done right. So to me, I think being the expert, you know, embracing the programs, really, you know, nailing down the understanding of it and, and how it should operate and the doing it, you know, we'll get into a little bit more the right way in a bit, but, you know, and then, you know, being that 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 counselor or consultant to the industry as as a profession um, that people not only trust but rely on, you know, um, you know, so many times I've heard builders say to me, "Oh, all that building science stuff is voodoo." It's not right. It's I mean, it's a fact. You know, there's no doubt that 
a leaky home is not good. You know, there's no doubt that a home needs to breathe. No, it does not. <laughs> it should not breathe at all. You should suffocate it and, and ventilate it correctly. Um, you know, um, you know, I just think that, you know, being able to, you know, as an industry, take our game to the next level, it's, it's going to be required, right? We're going to have to bring our game to the next level. And I think that to me, being the expert, you know, um, all of us concentrating on embracing the program and embrace the requirements, understand them so you can explain them. You know, um, all of these things, I think, to me, is the number one New Year's resolution for our business. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this, you know, and uh, I kind of feel like the more that we uh hold back on our communal you know professional development it it really hurts our uniformity um as an industry and when we hurt our uniformity then it really um undermines our credibility and so what i mean by that is i think too many people in this industry maybe have too big of a I don't know if it's like maybe hubris or they just they assume they know things that they don't really know. They didn't really pay to take a training on something. They didn't really invest their time or effort on it, but they they sort of project as if they are experts in, you know, elements of our industry that they really aren't. And whether or not that's really understanding building science or understanding the various programs of our industry. You know, when you give people bad or misleading information and then they start spreading it around, all of a sudden now you've created um, a potential huge web of just misinformation. And then if you have somebody who comes in and is telling like the truth, um, they may be viewed as being, you know, the... The problem person. And I've gotten that before, right? You know, I don't know about you, Sandy, but you know, I don't know if you've ever talked to a builder and you're like, no, Energy Star requires this. And they're like, well, I've never heard that. You, a, a you're, you're, times, you're the cop. And now I don't really want to listen to you because you're telling me I have to do things that nobody ever told me I had to do before. Do you know how many times in the direct provider world I've heard, oh, I, that didn't, you know, that wasn't a problem before, or oh, our radar never failed us for that, or I mean, do you know how many times? I mean, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that. And I think that part of my whole vision of this is that everybody's sending the same message, you know? Um, you know, I always, you know, I mean, I might get some slack for making this comparison, but I've always compared, you know, like people's interpretation of the ResNet standards to like people's interpretation of the Bible, right? <laughs> you can talk to a lot of different people and they have a different view of how they interpret that reading. or you could use the Constitution. And I don't mean that in an offensive way. I'm just saying that it's one of those things that are loosely interpreted and people come up to their own conclusions somehow that don't make sense. Now, I would say that part of that is the code slash standards kind of loose writing. But I think the other part of it, sort of, I mean, there is some areas that you could say, well, you know. But I think, again, it's it's the interpretation of it. And I, and I think that that's part of the problem. But I think the other part of the problem is people don't know. And, you know, they don't train their builders. They don't 
train their people. You know, they get certified and that's it. They do the bare minimum. There's never any more, you know, professional development. You know, I again, I understand that it's a burden for professional development. You know, it costs money, but it's a cost of doing business. If you want to have a highly, you know, functional, professional organization, you can look at any successful company. They pay to constantly improve the skills of their people. And we should embrace that in our own industry. And I don't mean just the minimum, right? So, again, it goes back to the same thing. You know, you may have passed the Energy Star test, but are you truly an expert at the Energy Star program? Do you understand every footnote? Do you get every, you know, compliance measure? Do you understand how this all is applied? You know, um, and I, I just think that, you know, when, when it's all summed down, and, and I don't want to go on too long about this because we got a bunch more topics to go. I just think that upping our game as an industry is going to up the whole industry, and it's going to improve everything when it comes to any kind of code compliance, program compliance, no matter what it is. It's going to make us a better industry, and we're sending the same consolidated, unified message because we're all true experts. Agreed. Uh, wholeheartedly agreed. Um, yep. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping people, you know, step up to the plate. If you're looking for something to, to up your game, let us know. Um, we're trying to do the best as a company in order to create educational resources for people to take that next step. If there's something that we don't have yet, Please come and take uh, uh, have conversation with us. Absolutely. So um, moving on to my first number one is uh, I want to draw attention to a uh, statement that came out here from uh, Resnet here uh, at the very beginning of this year. The ResNet board makes a bold goal of 1 million homes ResNet rated by the end of the year 2028. That's a big goal, Sandy. Um, we are about one third of the way there right now, maybe a little bit over that. You know, we have about uh, 350-ish thousand homes that go into the registry, and that's been you know steadily ticking up. Um, you know, but I would say. Uh, to go to a million in four meager years is a big goal. That's a big goal. That's a really big goal. And, um, you know, the things that ResNet thinks are going to drive it are uh, ESG reporting, code compliance, you know, basically, you know, green mortgages, et cetera. And um, so I, I think this is an interesting goal. Um, I don't remember actually talking about this. Maybe I missed that meeting. I don't miss too many meetings, but, um, you know, I don't remember us really having a, a, a full-throated debate about this particular goal. Anyways, hey, I'm for it. Sandy, let's triple our business. Why the heck not? And all the rest of y'all, let's triple your our businesses, respectively, um, especially the ones doing it right. Um, let, let's triple our businesses in four years. I'm game for that. I wanted to tease out a couple specific things that I think might be able to get us there. Um, and, you know, the, so the first one I'm going to bring up is uh, in 2021, there was some legislation that was adopted uh, or developed, I should say, for bringing a VA 
loan program into existence that factored in HERS ratings and energy savings from HERS ratings. So ResNet helped to develop this congressional language in 2021. And then in 2023, it passed. Um, and I, you know, Sandy, honestly, in a lot of ways, this didn't get very much fanfare. And the only reason why I can think why it didn't is um, our industry was reeling with um, too much focus on on maybe the 45L, you know, and it was like, well, the 45L, oh my God, you know, Energy Star and Zero Energy Radio Homes, 2,500 bucks, 5,000 bucks. And that's all anybody was focused on was the IRA passed and the 45L implications. And so this kind of, this kind of ended up, I think, kind of sneaking under the radar. But, and you may go, eh, this is just another EAM thing, and those really haven't panned out in the past. Why would this one pan out any differently? Well, well this is what I'm trying to say. We need to make this a priority, Sandy. As an industry, we need to make this a priority because VA loans are like there's hundreds of thousands of VA loans every single year. And so if we were able to get VA lenders to make this a standard component, number one, we would be giving an opportunity to veterans to have more efficient housing so that they have, you know, a better quality of, of living, you know, more comfortable homes, hopefully more cost effective homes. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of helping veterans uh, if we can. You know, we've got people who dedicate their lives and, you know, um, you know, put, 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 you know, uh, life and limb on the line for this country. And, you know, sometimes I think we give a lot of lip service to serving veterans, you know, and, and supporting them as a country. This is a material thing that we in our industry can do is that we can be a part of the opportunity to help make their homes more efficient and help them qualify for better mortgages, um, so maybe better quality housing. That's kind of how these programs are supposed to work. They're kind of twofold. For new housing, let's just say that you know a veteran uh, applies for a mortgage and they qualify for a $300,000 loan. Well, through uh, doing a HERS rating, it may show that compared to a standard built home, uh, and given the utility savings involved, maybe they can qualify for a slightly more um, expensive home. Let's just call it $325,000 because that home is going to be more efficient to operate. And that could help them get into that slightly nicer home. So slightly larger, maybe an extra bathroom. Uh, you know, slightly better neighborhood or whatever it is. Let's help these people get the homes that they want. And then, you know, for existing homes, which is I, to me where the, Sandy, we got to do something about existing homes. We got to quit giving lip service to it. You know, we can help qualify people to say, well, your house right now is completely uninsulated and not air sealed with old mechanical systems. Let's change out these things upgrade your home, and it's going to pay for itself through this lending process. So, you know, this opportunity is, is out there, and I just wish that we would have the 
leadership or the time or focus to be able to really go all in on it. Because what we really need is someone to like take that football. Football's out there, right? You know, they basically, you know, the, the legislation's passed. Well, why isn't it happening yet? Well, because you have to get out in front of the people who really administer this. You have to get out in front of the lenders and you need to sell them that this exists and this is why it's a great idea. And this is why you should do it for every single VA mortgage transaction. We're not doing that. We have to do that in 2024. What do you think, Sandy? Well, so I have some actually experience with this program in action. Um, was with a builder that was promoting it in San Antonio, Texas, which obviously is a large military area, right? Um, and they were having some okay success with it. So I, I have seen it in action. Here's the facts, Chris. We talk about going to a million homes, right? As of the 2022 census, there were 16.2 million veterans in the United States. So if you look at those numbers and say you divide that in half, right? Of potential buyers, which I think would be fair. You know, you have a, a market of 18 million potential customers. You know, that makes getting to a million a lot easier. So that's number one. Um, number two, why, why wouldn't we want to support veterans in the biggest way we can? I mean, I would much rather, you know what? I would give up a lot of things from ResNet if we supported veterans because I believe it's the right thing to do, you know? Um, so, you know, you know, I, I think that as constituents of ResNet, you know, I think that there's not any of us that I believe that wouldn't say, yeah, you know what, let's do this and let's concentrate on on, on this as a priority, you know, um, not just as a, a, a footnote. Um, yeah, I, so I think I think it's time that we start stepping up for the vets. I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, you know, the other big thing that I think there's an opportunity on is, you know, and I was a big champion of this. You may remember, Sandy, but, you know, uh, in 2020, ResNet announced a collaboration with the ICAC to create a compliance program for code. So some people on this, the, the watching the, the, you know, they're listening to the, to the cast may not quite understand this, but a ResNet rating is rarely code. It is in some states, like in Massachusetts, FERS ratings are oftentimes code. Um, you know, Texas. some municipalities in Colorado and New Mexico and some places in Texas, um, there's a few places around the country where it can be actually a code compliance mechanism. But for the rest of the country, uh, usually homes are either uh, verified for code compliance prescriptively or under the R405 performance path, which is a lot like a HERS rating, just a little bit different. It's not formally a ResNet HERS rating. It's oftentimes done by ResNet raters, but it's not a HERS rating. It doesn't end up in the registry. So, um, you know, I proposed and worked with a task group to basically, you know, to propose a voluntary code compliance verification program that would have quality assurance backed behind it. And, you know, uh, it was a good idea then and it's still a good idea today. Um, and, you know, so I'm hoping that ResNet has the bandwidth to really kind of put the ball all the way into the end zone on this, because I would venture to say that there's probably easily two times as many homes 
that are being verified by energy raters for code compliance than those that really end up in the registry as HERS rated. And I think in most cases, the delta of the extra work that it would take in order to get them in the registry, maybe they're not going to get a HERS index, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think the delta to be able to try to get them most of the way and get them into a registry is very small. And again, going back to this issue of um, enhanced professionalism that you touched on first, I, I just think this is another way for us to do that. So I don't know. You got any thoughts on, on you know, a, a HERS IECC compliance program, Sandy? I mean, to me, I, you know, I think it's a no brainer, right? I think that the the one thing that's missing in co-compliance is quality assurance. I mean, you know, I mean, think about this for a minute. And I think your number is low on two to one, by the way. I think it's higher than that. Um, you know, from a standpoint of co-compliance testing versus I, I think it's actually higher than that. Um, you know, coming from my background, we do a ton of co-compliance. Um, but who is checking it? I mean, I, you know, I, and, and I'm not crashing on code officials here, but you know how many times I've gone into an energy star home and failed it for not having a grade one installation and the builder would come back to me and say, well, the, you know, the, the, the code official was just here and passed it, <laughs> you know, excuse me. Um, you know, I, it's, it's mind boggling really, but I think more importantly, you know, when we're looking at code compliance houses, I mean, most raters are only coming at the end to do performance testing. So we're never even looking at things like insulation, air sealing, any of that. And basically, you get to the co-compliance house and you test it, right? You take, give it a blower door. Sometimes in some states, you got to give it a duct plaster test. In a lot of states, you do now. Um, I just think that we're missing, to me, what it's worth in my years in the business. To me, the thermal bypass inspection, the pre-drywall inspection, is probably the most important inspection that we do. And we're missing a key element of quality control, I think, in co-compliance, because there is no system for it. And I, so I embrace this. I think this is a great idea. And it's not to put more burden on a builder or anything like that. It's simply just we're ensuring that, the first of all, the code is met, right? And secondly, that the consumer is getting a quality product. So I'm all for this. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, you know, and... I mean, I'll just say I, I have a colleague that uh, is a code official and they're kind of stuck now in a situation where they've got a community where some homeowners weren't happy. They made a complaint about air tightness in the community. Uh, and it turned out that, you know, the raider wasn't necessarily following all the standardized procedures for doing that testing. And so now it's a big finger pointing con contest, you know, like, you know, the the community is pointing at the code official, the code official is pointing at the builder, the builder is pointing at the raider, you know, and I think that had we had a more standardized process that says exactly what we were all doing and producing standardized reports, I think it would have been easier to get to the bottom of this. And um, I, I think that we risk estranging code officials. Um, if they have too many bad experiences like this, you know, all of a sudden this whole, oh, the industry is moving to third party verification. Well, they might not if we don't get it right. 
Sure. So, so I, I think that it, it's time for us to standardize this. So, uh, so anyways, I kind of gave you a two for one. Of course, Chris Mack likes to run his mouth, but you know, in the spirit of how do we get to a million homes, if I had to pick two initiatives for us to focus on, it would probably be the 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 HERS ICC ICC relationship as well as the VA mortgage program. Sandy, let's roll into your number two. So, what's what's your number two? And if I recall, your number two is related to your number one, right? It is. And it's, you know, I look, I, I, I don't think it's there's any secret of our feelings about this topic, but I'm just going to say it bluntly and it's to the point. If you don't want to do the work, if you don't want to follow the different programs, if you don't feel as though it's important to the consumer, to the builder, to yourself if you don't feel as though you can hold sorry guys i got a cold you know up the standards get out of the business go do something else i mean you know i i I don't know how else to say that i mean look i've said this a thousand times in this podcast in in the seven episodes that we recorded it's not about, oh, I made a mistake or, hey, I didn't understand that part or, hey, you make, everybody makes mistakes, you know. But there is intentional skirting of the requirements. And then there's outright fraud and there's everything in between. And in my opinion, it's like I pride myself, uh, you know, if there's anything, you know, if you went to my kids and you said, what's the one thing that your father totally contests that's being a liar i hate it i have no mercy for lies be truthful to yourself to each other but hold up the integrity you are if you are not doing the right thing you are destroying the reputation of everyone it's not just affecting you you know there's a reason why people don't have confidence in some of the stuff that we do and a lot of it stems back to this point. So my whole thing, which is related to part one, if you don't want to be the expert, if you don't want to uphold the integrity of the program, if you don't want to do the right thing for the consumer, for the builder, for yourself, get out. Just get out of the business and go do something. Go be a car salesman or something. No offense to car salesman. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just enough is enough. I mean, we see this time and time again. We see not only you know, the lack of following the rules, but then the lack of enforcement for the fact that you're not following the rules. Um, And and it's just enough is enough. Let's self-regulate and get out. Get out of my business, you know? And again, I I, I say that with a passion for what I do and a love for the people that are in this industry. I have friends all over the country, but you know what? You're hurting, you're hurting us. And I don't appreciate that. And I think that if you don't want to do the right thing, you just need to get out. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's a wound that's been allowed to fester for way too long. And I think finally the chickens are somewhat coming home to roost. We got got some bad news last year, public news. Um, and there's a chance that there's more that could come i don't know how many more like big news things that we can really take until 
what? There's people out there who have been waiting for this, who can't wait to say, yep, I was telling you, these guys are bad. These guys aren't going to do it right. And so have it be one more big news story. And then there's going to be someone getting into the into the year of, of the big uh, publications out there online. And and yeah. then all of a sudden, all of our names are going to be dragged through mud. And, you know, and it ties into what I was just talking about. You know, if we're not getting code compliance right, you know, if we're not getting Energy Star right and all, all these tax credits and all the rest like that, you know, it's going to be bad news, folks. So I'm with Sandy, you know, level up. Understand what you're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, don't, don't create, you know, extreme rounding errors that allow things to pass through, um, you know, and, uh, and we should be in a better place, but I'm glad you're bringing this up, Sandy. Um, I, I think it's really critical. I, it, it's not only critical. I, I think we're at a critical junction in our existence. I really do. I, I feel like it's time for the people, you know, um, that stand for the right thing. Stand up. And and that was the other part of this. I would just say really quick. And I know we got to move on because we're, as usual, bloviating is that, you know, you guys that want to do the right thing, stand up and talk about it. Stop shuffling into the carpet. Stop pretending like it don't exist. Stop doing this stuff. Stand up and talk about it. Be on the side of good and right and just don't just ignore it. I mean, you know, it, 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 we got to stop not wanting to talk about it. We have to talk about it honestly, openly, and we have to come to a conclusion that's going to work. So, again, get out. <laughs> that's all I have to say, Chris. I'm with you. All right. Well, uh, so moving on, you know, from my number two, uh, as you all probably know, because um, we talked about it in a prior episode with Xavier Walter, there's a lot of opportunities with the Inflation Reduction Act that go beyond the 45L. Um, and I'm pretty excited about some of those, particularly those that are more driven towards um, existing buildings. So there were two major components of the Inflation Reduction Act that target existing buildings. One of them is called the, the HOMES Program. Um, and then a second one is called uh, the uh, High Efficiency Electric uh, Rebate uh, Program. So um, you'll see them defined in different ways. You know, Homes and Hera is the way that I typically see them described. Anyways, long story short, you know, the IRA passed in August of 2022. Uh, and we we don't have these programs yet. <laughs> Um, this is the state of Michigan where I live. This is um, our uh, Department of Environment, um, you know, basically for the state. And here's their timeline for implementation. Basically, they just they just got these funds here in November, uh, and they are going to hire a consultant. Uh, looks like they they messed up their date here, but probably here in February 2024, they're going to be hiring a consultant. Um, and then they're creating their program uh, tentatively in August 2024. For, so two years after the the, the money was created. Uh, and then they're going to have a program tentatively in October 2024. So, you know, here's the good news. The good news is that 
the money's coming, supposedly. Here's the bad news. Is there a chance that the wind could shift in this country in a way that could, could stymie some of this stuff? Probably not, but possibly. And it would hate, I'd hate to see that this sort of prolonged bureaucracy, that's what it is. And I'm not saying it in a maligning way, but it's, it's bureaucracy, that, that this prolonged sort of bureaucratic chain of command stops us from being able to actually get this stuff going in earnest. And the way that I'm looking at this is it seems like the state of Michigan, at least, is, is hedging their bets and that they're not really planning on having this stuff ready to go until at least the end of this year and maybe even beyond that. So, you know, this is a big deal. I mean, for the electrification stuff, you know, eight grand for heat pumps, um, you know, some money going towards air sealing and, and ventilation and insulation, money towards uh, electric wiring. You can actually get even bigger incentives if it's an income qualified project. Um, you know, for the home efficiency stuff, you know, which is it's a separate program. You, you can't do the same measures under each program, but you could do potentially two separate applications. You could do home performance stuff, you know, insulation, air sealing, et cetera, you know, windows maybe under the home efficiency program. You know, and then you could do electrification stuff in another in another application. That's allowed. So there's huge potential to actually go into people's homes and make a really big difference and to move the concept of especially electrification forward in earnest. But right now, if it's gonna be stalled out on the runway, you know, that that's not gonna help anybody. So I'm I'm really hoping that you know the the the, the states and the DOE really work together. How can we find some economies of scale and some consistency? You know, this is one of the problems is it's like the DOE had to give the, the money to the states, but then it's up to the states to implement their own custom program. And so it's, it's like they're all going to be a little bit different around the country. And that's OK. But do you think uh, that was a mistake, Chris? Do you think that was a mistake? Do you think that the federal government should have dictated what they did with the money? I think they should just created a baseline program and then, you know, give give the states the money to implement that program. Because the way it is, it's like every state can basically figure out, you know, who are the professionals involved, what kind of reports they're going to, you know, require, et cetera. And so it's just going to lead to a lack of uniformity. And then it's also just a lot of duplication effort. You're going to have 50 states creating 50 different programs. And, yeah. you know, that's just inherently inefficient. And so anyways, you know, I'm not complaining about it because I'm still very excited about the prospect, but it, it's like I've been excited about this since it came out. I'm very passionate about existing homes. I live in a old city that needs renovation. And uh, Michigan is one of the most utility burdened states. And what that means is that um, homeowners spend disproportionate amounts of their income on utility bills in the state of Michigan. And so I'm very passionate about how can we resolve that? And I know how we can. You and I know how we can. It's called good old-fashioned insulation, air sealing, uh, tightening up ductwork, 
um, and then better mechanical systems, amongst other things. And look, these programs aren't necessarily going to cover all of that cost, but it gives a real palpable shot in the arm to say, just go get it done. So that people don't go, man, I'm only going to be here another five more years. Screw it. I can tolerate it. I can tolerate these high bills for five more years. You know, that's what happens a lot. And so I'm I'm really hoping that we cross the finish line on this, have programs that really work. They're not too onerous or burdensome to participate in because the clock's ticking. You know, this IRA thing, it only goes until 20, what, uh, 2031, you know, 32, so. Yeah, well, yeah, so so we got, you know, clock's ticking, you know, and you know, so it sounded great. Oh, 10 years. Well, yeah, well, now 10 years is turning into eight, and, you know, if it turns into seven, six, you know, it's like all of a sudden, like, we're really diminishing the value of it. So, I don't know, that's what I'm hoping that we get done here in the new year is put, the, put these programs into action. Amen to that. Right on, Sandy. All right, so last but not least for you, my friend. Well. You know, I think that um, I would like to see a more concerted effort in supporting the building performance professionals that implement these programs from the programs themselves. I think that we've done an absolute horrible job as an industry really promoting what we do and, and how we do it. Now, there's people that would argue with me and say, well, you know, like, like we'll use ResNet and the whole Texas and HB32, whatever it was, right? That that whole thing. But, like, that's one state, you know what I mean? Uh, it's one place. And, you know, I, I've heard every argument against this. Like, oh, well, we don't want to compete. And, you know, what do we do when we go talk to a builder? And and I'm like, that's, that's a non-argument to me, right? Because you say, here you go. Here's a list of raiders in your area. You pick one, right? But like I, I you know, I, I think the time is past that the actual people doing the work are the are the only people that are selling it, promoting it, and taking it into the market. Right. Right. I, I just think it it's you know, you want to get to a million homes, Resnet, you know what you need? You need a full time business development person that's gonna go sell the merits. To everyone, state, now, now, so, now, some people may not realize this, but you were on the board for a period of time, and 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 you were involved in a in a group that that promoted this very idea, were you not? Yeah, I mean, I was on a board a couple years ago, but before that, I was actually on a group, and we we were on a working group to talk about you know what the best way would be to promote ResNet, and you know it seemed like everybody was interested, and you know we I thought we had a bunch of great meetings, you know. We, we set out a purpose and, and you know, uh, a methodology. You know, we, we estimated a cost. And, you know, really the cost was, I mean, we've wasted way more money on software programs that don't work, um, you know. And it's like, and I just don't think that, you know, for some reason, I don't know, it, you know, we don't follow the normal business sense. I mean, Chevrolet builds cars, but other people sell them. Right. right? Yeah. But Chevrolet promotes the product to the public. They help drive customers to the constituents, their, which are their dealerships. I mean, you can look at a million other different examples of that. And I just don't understand 
what the real, you know, we can't decide what we are, you know, you know, if we're just going to be a standards writing body, well, then why did we do the stuff in Texas? You know, I mean, but it, like it's on a small scale where it should be on a much wider scale. And like I said, it's not it's not just I'm not just picking on ResNet. It's it's all the programs. They spend all their money on rewriting standards every three years. Instead of, you know, maybe we should do it every, you know, one of the greatest suggestions I ever heard when I was on the board with you was you said maybe we should move to five years every every five years. You know what I mean? And I thought that was a great idea. Number one, it give us more time to do other things. Number two, there's no need for it. And number, you know, why do we have to follow this iCode thing? I don't, I don't even understand that. And then the, the last thing is, is that then we can concentrate on things like building the business. You know, ResNet puts out this goal, right? You know, look, Chris, you and I are businessmen. You can write anything you want on a piece of paper. If you don't back it up with action, it's never going to happen. And the only way that ResNet's going to get to a million homes is they promote it into the market. Otherwise, you're just going to be relying on everyone that's doing it now that's selling the merits of these programs for them. It's not going to happen. I mean, we got to the homes we're at now. It took how many years? 15, 16, right? Whatever it is, 20 years. I can't even remember now, right? But you see my point. So, Absolutely. You know, I just think that it's time that we 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 reevaluated how we're doing this. You want to help? You don't want to help? I don't need I don't need some kind of sophisticated, you know, crap that nobody's going to use. I, I don't need, you know, refined standards every 15 minutes. What I need is help growing my business. So. Yeah, well, because it's not for a lack of opportunity. Right. I mean, we've, we've no. talked about, you know several opportunities that are out there in the marketplace. And and th those are sort of aside from the other ones. You know, I talked about the VA loan program. There are energy efficient mortgage programs available for conventional mortgages too, and we're not really selling them. No. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it ends up being like up to the raters and providers themselves. You know, a previous entity that you worked for, Sandy, um, which I'm just going to call them out by their name, PEG, should get a lot of credit because they have led with professionalism in selling the merits of this industry to some very influential players. Yep. And they've helped to open doors on behalf of all of us. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to just chop them up and just say, Hey, you know, Hey, you know, but, but seriously, credit where credit's due, you know, absolutely. PEG is one of those entities and they're not, they're not the only one, um, you know, raiders and providers all around the country are doing this work. They're the ones that are pounding the pavement and selling the merits of this system. But it's the same thing that we talked about, you know, with, uh, you know, enhanced professionalism, when you have, you know, a hundred or a thousand voices trying to say the same thing, like somebody's going to be out of tune. Somebody's going to say it slightly differently or slightly wrong. And so there's too much of a risk of a lack of uniformity. I mean, the energy code verification. Let's just say that most people are doing it right for the sake of argument, but all the documentation is all in a different format. You know, yeah. it's a proprietary letterhead or it's, you know, it's a sticker from this software or a sticker from that software or it's a homemade sticker 
Um, you know, it's all none of it's uniform. Um, and so yeah. it's it's really hard for us to promote ourselves as being a highly professionalized industry when we're all over the place. And it's up to, you know, chucking a truck to, to also come up with a marketing plan to really promote this stuff, you know, and, and that we're, we're relying on the private sector to sell it more so than the the industry, you know, regulating and, and promotion body. So we, we really got to, we really need that assistance. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, I think you make a good point there though, you know, and, and I don't think you saw it all the way through. So I'm going to jump in there. Thank is you. that the average raider doesn't have the facilities to have a business development person no. or, or a marketing arm or a social media person or, you know what I mean? I mean, the average raider does not have even the, you know, what we would consider to be a decent sized shop, you know, th doesn't have those kind of, you know, facilities. You know, when you're talking about the larger, you know, you know, direct providers in our industry, you know, they can afford that. Right. I mean, you know, it's just economies of scale. So I think that we're, you know, and, and where I'm going with this is not probably where you think I'm going with this. But imagine the benefit we could have. If these programs, no matter who it is, were helping those smaller raiders promote their business by being more active in the promotion and, you know, all that uh, uh, of, of the industry or the program of, of whatever. It would be tremendous. So, you know, that single raider, you know, or that, you know, small shop that's out there working every day, they don't have time to go in and pitch builders. They, they don't have time to, you know, send out a mailing campaign. Where I think that ResNet could redirect some of their funds or, you know, whatever program, even Energy Star. You know, they have a great name recognition, but it's mostly due to, you know, the the other side of Energy Star yeah. appliances, right? It has nothing to do with Energy Star for homes. You know, even they don't really promote it, you know? Um, so I, I think that it's just, you know, again, I, I, I think that we're missing out on a giant opportunity, you know, and even lobbying, you know, like. I know we do a fair amount of like lobbying states and, and national government and all that, but like how, how, you know, how can we, you know, uh, not everybody can go to every state, you know, and push for the merits of a HERS rating or, or, or whatever, right? Or energy star rating for 45 tax credits or, you know, workforce development. I mean, where is, you know, are these organizations during this? And I think they need to play a much active role and helping promote our business. Because even if they just plant a seed, then we can take advantage of it going farther from there. So that's my thought. Totally with you. Um, so uh, last but not least. Yes, sir. Uh, for, me, for me is um, let's work on getting electrification, right? So Sandy, you and I, have, we've gotten some, some uh, listener feedback uh, over the last couple of episodes. And, you know, I think people think that you and I are skeptics of electrification and Not heat pumps. And, and so I want to, I want to dispel the myth there, you know, Sandy, when I, when I said, Hey, you know, New York voted for something that's, they passed a law that said that all buildings are going to be electric. What did you say about it? I thought it was awesome. You thought it's good. Yeah. So I, I did. here's the thing. I also think that it's good. Um, so, but good things are rarely just easy things. 
And I truly and genuinely feel that many in our industry, smart people, really smart people, are potentially doing this movement towards electrification a disservice by oversimplifying it and just saying replace your furnace with a heat pump and and all this other you know kiss my hug my heat pump water heater you like i and i know that you got, i say those things and i'm sure some of you go chris doesn't like this stuff i do i do like it but Did i you just also mur? like <laughs> yeah I think, well, no, people are getting mad, Sandy. I mean, we got a couple people that are like, Chris, Chris, you're not on the right team. I am. But, guys, it's not necessarily as simple as what you're saying, and we, we have to be thoughtful. Heat pump water heaters, for example. As it turns out, according to a presentation at the ResNet conference, they're not quite as efficient as what the, the UEF says that they are, um, and particularly for cold climates where you have a cold incoming water temperature. Um, it can cause there to be some actual, you know, it's, they don't perform quite as well as we thought. Any place that has hard water, uh, like in California, apparently there can be some real issues with corrosion in these systems that can cause them to have premature failure. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that there's a lot of premature failure in heat pump water heaters. And so, and so it's not that I'm saying I don't like them or I wouldn't like my next water heater is going to be heat pump water heater. I got an old school. At some point, I'm going to take a picture of me kissing my gas water here because I, I got, I got, I got, you know, and when I bought this house, you know, I have a 15 year old, you know, atmospheric vented water heater, gas water heater. And people go, whoa, Chris, that's so regressive. It's the, my last piece of old tech that I have in the house, you know, and it's a champ. I hate to say it, but it's a champ. You know, we've lost our power here in Michigan in the wintertime, the last two winters in a row. We've lost it for up to five days. So there's no heat in Michigan because my, you know, my my system, they, whether I had a furnace or whether I have a heat pump, I still need electricity to move that air around. And uh, so taking a hot shower with a with a atmospheric vented water heater felt actually quite nice. Um, you know, that's a whole other topic. I don't want to keep running my mouth about, about this right now. I want to set the record straight. There is pro-electrification. We want it to happen. But heat pumps are not magic boxes, guys. No. Stop making it out like it's so simple. And, and I, the catchphrases and the cuteness and the this and that, like, <laughs> I'm, I, I just feel like we need to get our game tight, folks. We need to be designing good systems. We need to be selecting the right system. Uh, we need to be verifying its installation. And we need to also consider the cost of operation for the consumer. And are they prepared for that? If they're not, maybe that's not what we should be focusing on as much right now. You know, maybe we need to be focusing on just making the building enclosure a whole lot better. And because here's the thing, if you smash the heat loads, you got a really small, uh, you know, heating consumption profile. What difference does the fuel make? Like the, that, that makes so little difference, you know, and I think that there's just there's this purist mentality. 
It's like, well, if you didn't go all the way, then you didn't do it yeah. at all. And and I just I couldn't disagree with that more. I just think that that's the most foolish way of looking at it. Um, new homes, believe it or not, new homes are being wired for heat pumps in that. You know why, Sandy? Because they have air conditioning. Right. Most homes today have air conditioning. So they have 240 volts running to a compressor. And so at some point, that furnace and AC combo, when we have four COP air source heat pumps or five COP air source heat pumps, eventually, and probably better refrigerants, refrigerants that don't just leak out in in create holes in the atmosphere. R410A is still not, it's better than the old stuff, but it's still not the best. And these systems do leak their refrigerants. They do. Uh, There was a thing, Project Drawdown, uh, for those who are in the kind of like the climate change community, there's this website, Project Drawdown. And and the number one thing that we could do in order to help uh, reduce our, our threat of climate change was reduce refrigerant leaks and 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 the pernicious effects of refrigerants. My father-in-law has a Mitsubishi mini split, a ductless mini split uh, in his bonus room of his house and the refrigerants leaked out of it twice. Wow. In 10 years. Um and so Look, I'm not saying don't put in a heat pump. Absolutely. If you're going all the way and you're trying to do an all-electric house, or if you're just someone who, if you're if you're in a more moderate climate, you know, climate zone kind of four and below, I think it makes a lot of sense almost always if you're in a place where the cost of electricity is really low, if you're in a place where your grid is extremely clean, like in like Vermont or, or up in Washington State, I think that there's a pl- plenty of places where like it just makes Total sense to do this. I think that there's some other places where I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm also saying make sure that the consumer is prepared. You know, I've got a, a builder that I work with here uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You know, go blue. Yeah, hey, national champions. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a Spartan. I went to Michigan State, so but hey, you know, I, I grew up being a U of M fan here in uh, in uh, Metro Detroit. So national champions. Go Blue, Ann Arbor, represent here, uh, right near my hometown of Detroit. Anyways, you know, this builder is a progressive builder. He's doing passive house. He's doing living building challenge. He's doing all of these different high performance programs. He built his own house and put in heat pumps. And his bills are like three times as much as he was expecting them to be. And he's like, he's not happy about it. Now, he could, there's a couple of things he could have done a little bit different or better. So it's back to the design thing. You know, if we're going to do it, don't they're not magic boxes. So if no. you treat them like magic boxes and you can just put them in in the exact same way as a furnace, then people are going to have high bills and then all of a sudden they're going to be salty about it. So I wanted to clarify this, Sandy, because we're hearing from people and they're going, Chris and Sandy don't like, they, they want to keep burning fossil fuels forever. No, I don't. I don't. I, I want to drink clean water, breathe clean air eat clean food, uh, and I want biological integrity of the environment for humans and other species. Uh, If we continue to burn fossil fuels um, in an irrational way, such as we are today, we're not going to have any of those things. And I don't want that. Um, So so I absolutely want us to move to electrify everything as soon as possible. But it's 
it may not happen in this in the way that people think it is. They're not magic boxes. You can't just throw them in there and expect that they're going to perform as good as as their their rated value. We have to be thoughtful about it. So I don't know, Sandy. You got any thoughts about that? I mean, I would just say I was a little surprised, you know, uh, at that feedback because I think I don't think we've you know really promoted ourselves as being against electrification. We've just thrown up the flags of the, you know, caveats that could exist. And I, and I think that, you know, we would be irresponsible as building performance professionals if we didn't paint an accurate picture. I mean, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done is the one with Tony. Here's a guy that has great experience. And, you know, he pretty honestly, you know, put out the fact that the grid's not ready. And I think we need to talk about this stuff, whether you know, whether it aligns with, you know, I, I, you know, some idea, you know, and I agree with you that this kiss your heat pump crap and all this is just ridiculous. I mean, you know, we need to be talking about, okay, you know, we need to go to electrification, but how do we get there smart? How do we get there the right way? And how do we get there without turning what could be an extremely positive cause and effect into a disaster and i i i think i don't think there's anything wrong with that i don't think it's anything wrong with us pointing that out it's kind of like when we talked about the electric cars we both strongly believe that electric cars are the future we both do but we also said that they're not there yet and you know things like hybrid technology and things like that are a good bridge you know i i think this is a similar thing with electrification right i think that I think where it makes sense, where you said, you know, Northwest, perfect place, right? Makes sense. But I think there's areas and situations that don't make sense. And there's a risk of going too hard, too fast without full thought, full execution um, with things like design, et cetera, uh, that it becomes a mess. And that's the last thing we want is we don't want to be, I mean, does everybody remember the great solar surge of the 70s you know and then it turned into a giant debacle you know what i mean um so i think that you know again i would just strongly say that one we are not anti-electrification we are total you know you know driven by you know conservation and you know just because we raise the red flags about things don't mean we're against them it just means that we're we're throwing up the caution flag because we understand being professionals in the business where the caveats exist. Yeah, you know, because because I got I got in this industry because I wanted to get it right. You know, I got out of college and I was sort of more in a policy driven, um, you know, uh, educational background in college. And I kind of fell out of love with with policy because they're just words on a page. And I wanted to get into something that was actionable. I could. I could put my hands on it and I could do something with it. And I think that this whole hers industry is is part of that, you know, designing and selecting uh equipment um is is part of that, you know, testing and verifying buildings and 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 now with HVAC grading, you know, testing and verifying HVAC grading um I think is is a huge opportunity too. And so I I mean, I, we're heading in the right direction and it's an industry and like we talked about in the new segment, you know, there's a bunch of manufacturers stepping up to the plate to get us better 
pump and it's happening and and it, and it is possible today i don't i don't want to talk about this like you can't do it today it's just do it right like do it right and and, be, and do it thoughtfully because you know otherwise i just i'm, I'm concerned that we're going to have people who have buyer's remorse you know and it'll be so easy to blame the heat pump you know it won't be the the installation defect it will be the heat pump's fault right. uh it won't be the builder's fault for not taking care of the details of the building enclosure, it will be the heat pump's fault. Um, the Raiders certainly not going to take the fall for it. It will be the heat pump's fault. If things people aren't comfortable and if they have high bills or there's some reliability related issues, it will be the heat pump's fault. Yep. That's just how humans work. We're going to point to the new thing and the overly simplified explanation. And nobody knows how they work enough. And so people are just going to go, yep, that's your problem. That darn heat pump, you know. And and so we got to make sure that that doesn't happen, people. And that's all we're trying to say. But here's what I also say. If we've leaned a little bit more into um, pointing out some constructive challenges with electrification, we're going to have forthcoming guests here that are all in on electrification. They're going to tell us why it's the right thing to do and how to do it right. And so it's not just a poo-poo on the heat pump kind of party. We're not trying to say that when we're going to be promoting how to do it right. So I want to make that clear for everybody, Sandy. That wraps up our uh, show for, uh, you know, for the main topic, you know, and moving into our little musing here just really quick. We don't got to wrap out this for too long because we've already been going on for a while, but I just got to say, Detroit versus everybody. (laughs) Lions, baby. And this may be real stale when this episode comes out uh, next week because the Lions are playing their first home playoff game uh, in a long time uh, against the Detroit Rams. (laughs) Matthew Stafford (laughs) and the Los Angeles Rams, the the surging uh, Rams. And so um, now, Sandy, I got to admit, I got every reason to be salty. My line should be the number one seed in the NFC, and everybody knows it. How many more times is the NFL going to just drop the ball uh, on this kind of stuff? Or or did they drop the ball? Or are we conspiracy theorists? And and this is exactly what they wanted, you know, kind of a situation. I don't know. What do you think? I I think officiating has been a problem this year. There has been a lot of really – bad calls a lot i mean more than average i mean i don't know if it's training issue i don't know you know then i don't know if you saw that article about that one official that got you know uh got uh dismissed because he was they said he was manipulating games i mean you know i i just yeah there was a whole thing about that so i mean again you know i think that official the, the nfl really needs to like think about improving officiating i mean if the nfl is the number one sport in the united states they have to be the number one in officiating and it's with you know replay and all these things they've instituted officiating has actually gotten worse you know it's amazing because you know honestly i'm historically not the biggest nfl guy largely for this issue because i feel like when it comes down to the crucial moments they blow the call like they blow it in the in the, the most egregious ways. 
Um, you know, this, you know, and look, I'm not going to dwell on my own issue. You know, the guy reported, clearly reported, and it was the coolest play to end the most exciting game that I think I've ever seen, to be honest. That was a really exciting, wasn't a pretty, wasn't a pretty game always, but it was exciting. And that's what the game is supposed to be, you know. So I'll say for my Lions, you know, because again, this might be stale. Our coach, Gambling Dan, you know, he might want to back down to two big gulps of coffee a day instead of the five that he typically has. Because, man, I'll say, uh, you know, in Spanish, we may say, mas cajones que cerebro. Uh, you know, the guy, uh, you know, he, he's he got a lot of guts. But sometimes you just got to go for the points, man. Sometimes you just got to go for the more. Can, you can, not everything can be a gamble. Um, but I'll say it makes for must-see TV. You know, uh, you know, and so um, we'll see. Ride or die. We'll see how it turns out on Sunday. Uh, any other insight for what's happening for the end of the NFL season here? Um, well, first, I just want to finish that thought. I, I actually love Dan Campbell. <laughs> I sure. think he's an awesome coach. And, you know, I love the fact that he comes in there with big balls. I, I love it. I mean, I think he's, I you know, he's what the Lions needed for sure. And a lot of other NFL teams. Um, I, I would only caution that, you know, you know, the Rams are really have played really well at the end of the year. And Matthew Stafford might be a little upset about that situation. And I'm just saying, I mean, he shouldn't be because he won a Super Bowl, but he may have a little revenge on his lips. So I think out of all the games that the Lions could have wound up with, you know, during, you know, this time, I think this is actually one of the more dangerous ones. Oh, yeah. I really well, do. Because, I mean, I hate to say this, but the Lions secondary is really poor. Um, our past defense is not good. And so, you know, you're, you're playing a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, and you have a really bad secondary. Our run defense is great. Our offense has been pretty good, all, all things considered. But we do have a chink in the armor in, in so far as our secondary. Any other prognostications for the rest of the playoffs? I think the Cowboys are going out in the first round. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I think the thing that's really more shocked me of, of anything else has been the bloodletting of head coaches. Um, you know, it's been it's already unprecedented. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what the shuffle is going to be, you know, is, you know, guys like, you know, Bill Parcells going to pack. I mean, they're 72 years old. Right. I mean, you know, uh, Pete, you know, out in yeah. Seattle is 73. Yeah. Carol is 73. You know, are these guys going to continue to keep going? Uh, I know the money's hard to say no to, probably, but um, you know they say oh, Pete man, Carroll. These guys got plenty of money. Like, go, yeah, they got go plenty of money, yourself. but you know, that's what I said. I said I, I would go sit down and watch a football game. I think if I was Bill Parcells, I mean, twenty-four years with the Patriots alone—that's not counting his stint with the Browns and the Giants, right? So, um, but um, I, I think it's going to be—I think it's going to be very interesting playoffs. I actually have faith that the Lions are going to pull through. I think the Lions are going to the championship game. I just don't think they can beat the 49ers, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that's who's going to be there. Anybody else, I give the Lions an equal chance. But I, I 49ers are a good team, man. Um, you know, as far as that's the AFC... Tough, I mean, what, wouldn't the Lions be facing the 49ers? In, at in some the, point. Well, in, I guess in the not in every round. scenario. They might be. I don't know. You know, I didn't look for it that far. Okay. Um, but I think that's their biggest adversary, you know, 
I think that's yeah. their biggest adversary in the playoffs. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Because, you, you know, you're right. I didn't look through the whole playoff tree, so I'm not sure what the next would be. Because Detroit's the third yep. seed, I think. Yeah. Yep. So maybe they would play the 49ers next. Um, if, it, you know, they got to win. So it's tough, man. Two tough teams back-to-back. Um, but, you know, I, I think they – I don't know. I, I think that's their nemesis. The 49ers are the nemesis. I think they can beat everybody else. I really do. Um, so I'm excited for you um, and for Detroit. I really am. It's nice to see a different team, an up-and-coming team, you know, a team that hasn't had a lot of success, you know, get involved. I, I, you know, it spices it up a little bit, you know. Um, you know, as what far as the AFC. AFC. Yeah, what uh, do you think by AFC? It's up for grabs, maybe, right? I think it's up for grabs, man. I don't see – I don't know. I mean – if I was going to pick a long shot, and this is not going to sound like a long shot, but if I was going to pick a long shot, I think it's the Dolphins. That is an incredibly explosive team. And the only one I think might be able to hang with Kansas City, points-wise. Gotcha. And it's true. Okay. Um, well, of course. But I that's am, my unprofessional opinion. You know, I am, I am, I am going for my, uh, my Buffalo Bills. Uh, my my our sister city here in Detroit, cloudy as all get up all winter long. Uh, not not a ray of sunshine to be seen throughout the winter. We feel your pain there in Buffalo. We got a similar rise. We got a similar fall here in Detroit. Uh, so I got much love to my my folks there in Buffalo. Uh, let's let's put it over the top. Let let's do something that nobody in the whole rest of the country wants to see. We're going to do the Detroit Lions against the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, folks. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> That's a bold prediction. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The, the refs are going to be throwing some flags to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> They're going to sure. think about some new ones. Um, yeah, no doubt. But, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see. You know, like I say, this, this uh, little musing may age poorly, uh, you know, but hey, look. Pretty much definitely will, but... <laughs> 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 at, at the very least, it's been a fun season for me here in Detroit, and uh, and we look forward to seeing how that develops. And we will be back for another episode of the BearCast very soon. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Happy 2024, and we'll catch you on the next one. Happy New Year, everyone. Okay.